Uh, welcome to the ASEAN Prosperity Initiative podcast series. In this episode, I'm your host, Imran. Uh, I'm an executive researcher with the Economics and Business Unit at the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, IDEAS. Today, we're joined by uh, Ms. Rachel Burgess. She's a lecturer at the University of Southern Queensland, and her speciality is in competition law and de- developing countries. And today we'll be discussing strengthening competition laws in ASEAN member countries, creating a level playing field. Professor Burgess, welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here, Emran. Likewise. Um, So I guess uh, our first question is, to what extent do you think that competition laws in different ASEAN countries as of now are sufficient in creating a level playing field within both the countries and within the region as a whole? Yeah, it's it's really great to start with the word level playing field, I think, when we're talking about competition law, because we hear them a lot, don't we, when we're talking about competition law and policy. I thought it might be helpful for your listeners if I go back a step before I answer your question, Imran, and just talk a little bit about what competition law and policy is and what it's trying to achieve, because I think that's quite important. When we think about um, competition policy, We need to remember that that is a government policy in the same way that, you know, there's policies on taxation and immigration and the like. What competition policy tries to do is ensure that we have uh, competitive markets. So uh, players are able to participate uh, competitively in whatever market they wish to participate in in each country. So competition policy is trying to regulate the way that businesses interact with each other or the way that businesses individually behave, particularly where those businesses are very big. Competition policy also may regulate in some jurisdictions uh, the way that state-owned enterprises interact with businesses. So, you know, there's a few um, there's a few variants in, in the way that competition law and policy may apply, but those are broadly um, what, what it's trying to regulate. But ultimately, what competition policy is trying to do is benefit consumers so that when you and I go to the shops, we have good choice of product, that we have a variety um, of quality as well as choice, uh, that we're that the products are provided at the lowest price, you know, competitive prices, and that uh, the process of competition encourages the players in the market to produce new things all the time. So innovation we're talking about there. So those, um, that's what competition policy is trying to do. Now, competition policy is actually different to competition law. So, Um, Competition law is one way that competition policy is implemented, but there's other policies that governments have that also have an effect on competition policy. Um, So, you know, things like um, economic policies impact competition, uh, trade policies also impact competition, for example. Um, Coming back then to your words, level playing field, We see them a lot in the context of competition law and policy because what we're trying to achieve through this competition policy is having that 
uh, equal opportunities for all players, big or small, to compete on the market. And what competition policy is trying to do then is regulate the, the market power that businesses have so that uh, we haven't got any distortion of the market, which creates that unlevel playing field, if you like. Um, if it's helpful, I'll just cover really briefly, you know, to answer your question about um, whether the ASEAN laws are sufficient at the moment, what I'd like to do first is just highlight what competition laws normally cover very briefly and very broadly. And this is international best practice. You know, this is what um, around the world is generally recognised as being needed for an adequate competition law. And it's three things. The first one is a prohibition against anti-competitive agreements. So where businesses are coming together and making agreements that distort the market, that unlevel the playing field. An example might be a price fixing agreement. So if uh, the three main producers of durian fruit in uh, Malaysia come together and agree the price of durian, then that is going to distort the market because um, they are not competing uh, on price. Instead, they've agreed price, which makes um, the playing field unlevel for others wishing to participate. Um, it also demonstrates market power or, or evidently it's results in market power, I should say, because the three players who've come together to agree the price collectively are exercising market power to the detriment of consumers and other players in the market. So that's the first type of prohibition. They're commonly referred to as pillars um, of competition law. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar relates to abuse of dominance. So this is where competition law is trying to regulate the behaviour of dominant firms. Because if you are really big, if you're a big, strong player, we can think of many examples, Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google and the like. The way that those types of entities behave, if they behave um, in an unfair manner, then that in itself can distort the market. Um, let's think about an example of a digital platform. Um, Amazon, for example, operates a digital platform. If I want to sell my goods through Amazon and Amazon want to impose unreasonably high charges on me to access their platform, then I'm at a disadvantage compared to Amazon's own goods and services being sold through that platform. So you can see that the pure size of Amazon and the power with which it, ex, you know, it's, it's power to exercise, sorry, it's exercise of power to prevent me from accessing its platform without paying a really high fee actually unlevels the playing field. The third pillar the third prohibition that's common to competition laws around the world is one that prohibits anti-competitive mergers. So you have a scenario where uh, two businesses are trying to merge. They might be two of only three players in the market 
And the merger of those two itself creates market power. And this is something that competition regulators and competition laws uh, try to prevent because that um, generation of market power distorts that level playing field. So I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, Imran, but hopefully that background is helpful to your listeners. The answer to the question is I think that we do now in ASEAN have competition laws in all of the member states. Cambodia was the last one to pass its law in October of 2021. And all of the laws cover these three pillars with this exception of Malaysia that doesn't currently have a merger regime. Although I'm sure your listeners are aware that Malaysia is currently uh, proposing changes to its law to allow a merger regime. So because the um, regimes all have these three pillars, I think that we've got the tools there uh, to achieve that level playing field, both on a domestic level and also on a regional level. Could you say that with Cambodia having set up its own competition, finally having set up its own competition laws, it's they've kind of they've kind of passed the first hurdle, and now it's more about maybe capacity building in terms of institutions and in kind of enforcement and kind of ensuring the laws are kind of uh, up to date with current market trends and stuff like that. Absolutely, man. I think um, that comment can be made actually for many of the regulators um, and authorities across the ASEAN region. Although the laws have been passed, in many jurisdictions, enforcement and implementation is still in very early days. Now, there are exceptions to that, of course. Singapore and Indonesia and Malaysia have all been implementing their laws for many years now. But a lot of the jurisdictions are still relatively new. Uh, Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia have only recently set up their commissions. And interestingly, Vietnam and Thailand uh, have just they're just in the process of re-establishing their commissions and their competition authorities because of a change in the law. So for, for many of the jurisdictions in the ASEAN region, the tools are there, the laws are there uh, with everything that's needed technically to uh, implement and, and achieve that level playing field but you're not going to achieve a level playing field without enforcement. So that will be the next major uh, step for the region is to get that uh, enforcement and implementation across the region. Mm. And how would strengthening uh, set competition laws and kind of, like you said, uh, enforcement, how would that be beneficial for the ASEAN member states and what kind of hurdles would they face in, in that regard? So, I mean, I think we've, um, to some extent, uh, we, we've already answered um, that the strengthening point in the sense that, you know, I, I think the laws are there. Um, there will be a need for ongoing improvement to the laws. There always is. Um, Australia has had its competition law enforced for nearly 50 years and we are still changing it, Imran, from time to time. So we're still improving it. We're still thinking of different ways to address issues. Um, so I think we will see um, lots of 
continual need for change and updating laws as as the world develops and also as the laws develop in each jurisdiction. Um, and and once we have that, um, uh, you know, as as the laws start to be implemented and that experience is gained uh, across the region, then we will see more and more enforcement, which you know, works more and more towards that level playing field across the region. But there are other hurdles that that um, we have mentioned already. The major one is capacity building. Um, we know that uh, for many jurisdictions, this law is still relatively new. Um, the law is quite complex in the sense that it's quite different to many other laws. It relies very heavily on economics. Uh, so we do need uh, for the regulators to have a good understanding of both the legal issues and the economic issues. And also regulators are asked to investigate. So for uh, staff of regulators, they need um, there needs to be a wide range of skills within the regulator. And that takes time to build, you know, and, and the capacity building and learning is ongoing. Lots and lots and lots of great work has been done in the region already, and that, that will continue. Um, I think the other major hurdle uh, in the region, and, and this is um, not specific to ASEAN, I think this is a comment you could make generally in relation to any new laws um, in any region around the world, uh, is that the regulators will need, the competition regulators, will need to keep advocating the benefits of competition law and policy. And that advocacy work needs to happen on a few different levels. Obviously, uh, the authority will be trying to convince business and consumers of the benefits of competition law, why it's needed, how it works, how it can help businesses and consumers. But importantly, the regulator also needs to advocate to other government departments and agencies, because sometimes what you see is competition uh, laws being um, affected by other government policies. So all of government really needs to understand uh, the benefit of competition law and how uh, other policies may impact inadvertently on competition law and policy. And the advocacy role of the regulator will be really quite important in relation to those other government policies. Okay, that's, that's very interesting. And how do you see the kind of impact of COVID-19? How, how would that impact development of competition regimes? And is there any particular issues that the, the pandemic has brought up that needs to be taken to, into consideration as ASEAN member states evolve their, their competition laws? Yeah, it's a really, uh, really interesting point, Imran. At the beginning of the pandemic, you may have seen that many agencies and international bodies in the competition space came out very quickly and made statements that competition law had to keep being enforced during the pandemic. And um, these there were statements from the likes of the OECD, but also the um, ASEAN Experts Group on Competition. You may be familiar with this group. It is um, uh, comprises a representative from each of the uh, member states 
um, and they meet regularly to discuss the ASEAN-wide competition issues. Um, and they made a statement very early on to say, we will continue to enforce competition law throughout the pandemic. Um, that the pandemic itself brought up a lot of challenging issues for competition law enforcement, uh, particularly where there was a need for business to do things in a slightly different way to deal with, with the COVID um, issues. For example, uh, here in Australia, uh, the supermarkets wanted to work together to manage their supply chains to ensure that they were able to get all of the necessary, you know, food and food and uh, drink uh, products into the supermarkets around the country. So, um, given you know, given there were shortages and and supply chain issues, so the uh, Australian Competition Consumer Commission actually authorised them to get together, work together in a way that would have been anti-competitive in normal circumstances. So there were adjustments made by a number of jurisdictions as to the way in which they applied their competition law during the pandemic. Another example is Singapore. Singapore actually have published uh, a guidance on business collaboration during the pandemic um, which your listeners may want to look at, uh, again, to identify scenarios where there might be a need to slightly change the way that competition law is applied in specific scenarios. But importantly, the underlying message from all regulators was unless there is um, a good reason to change it, competition law is going to apply, you know, as normal. Um, Coming out of the pandemic, I think we are hearing the same messages. Uh, we have a statement from the ASEAN heads of competition agencies that was made uh, in about April this year that made it clear that they would continue to enforce competition law um, post-pandemic. And they actually highlighted a couple of really important points. And, and again, your listeners might like to have reference to this document. Um, but they particularly highlighted that they would need to uh, ensure that their advocacy work continued so that policies that governments are introducing now to help with recovery, we need to ensure that those new policies don't inadvertently give rise to competition issues. Um, so that advocacy role is equally as important, if not more important, uh, coming out of the pandemic. Similarly, the statement also refers to the importance of digital markets. And I think we all observed the massive uptake of digital solutions when we were all in various lockdowns around the world the digital economy moved very, very quickly. Um, the progress towards um, digital marketplaces moved even faster than it already was. So this gives rise to lots of potential competition issues. And I think it's fair to say that all competition authorities around the world are still trying to get their minds around how to deal with some of these digital market issues. And the statement made by the ASEAN heads of competition agencies recognises that we all still have to 
uh, improve our capacity to assess and deal with those competition issues um, in relation to digital market. Um, the final point I'll make about the pandemic um, and competition law is related to MSMEs, micro, small and medium-sized enterprises. It's a group that can be overlooked in competition uh, circles because often people misunderstand the way that competition law applies to MSMEs, but it does apply and it also is there to support and help those enterprises get access to the level playing field. It's really uh, important recognising that, that, you know, in most jurisdictions, MSMEs comprise, you know, more than 95% of businesses. So uh, for those um, MSMEs to, sorry, for uh, economies to recover from uh, the pandemic, we need to ensure we've got uh, environments where those MSMEs can compete on level playing fields. And um, the need to engage with that group is, is recognised in that uh, heads of agency statement. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, issues that stay uh, the same during a pandemic um, with competition law, but there's also a number of issues that have come out or, or emerged more quickly as a result of the pandemic, which all agencies around the world are, are grappling with. Yes, I think that's that's quite interesting. And yes, I think I think certainly the pandemic kind of brings up its own unique dynamics that needs to be looked at. But I'm just kind of curious to know, like based on what we've discussed so far, it seems most developments in terms of competition laws in ASEAN has been on a domestic country by country basis. Has there been any moves to kind of harmonize countries' uh, competition regimes with each other to kind of improve overall competitiveness of ASEAN as a block? Or is it still very much kind of a decentralized kind of country by country basis? I think the answer to that, Imran, is a bit of both. Um, let me explain. So we have 10 competition laws, 10 different competition laws, and we have 10 different competition authorities in the ASEAN region. Um, and that, you know, that's not likely to change, I don't think, anytime soon. Uh, what we do have, though, is the ASEAN Economic uh, Community Blueprint, which I know you're familiar with, which has had, a, a, you know, has been pushing for competition laws in the region since, you know, the, the 2007 uh, blueprint. What it um, does and what it has done in the last couple of uh, versions is call for greater harmonisation of competition law and policy in the region by developing a regional strategy on convergence, obviously, is the terminology used. So um, a lot of the work of the ASEAN Experts Group on Competition is um, about recognising that there are 10 different laws and 10 different agencies. And there's very good reasons for having 10 different laws. Um, the member states are all at various uh, stages of economic development. They've got very different, um, often very different political and legal structures, uh, very different social histories. So there is good reason for the laws to be different. Um, but what we need to, to continue to do, and this work certainly has started, is to understand the differences between the laws but also to understand the similarities between the laws and provide mechanisms 
for the agencies in the region to work together, particularly where there are cross-border issues. So where there is a price-fixing cartel that covers multiple member states, where there is a, um, a merger um, of a, uh, two entities that operate in various states, then there will need to be cooperation between those agencies. Uh, the ASEAN Experts Group on Competition, the AEGC, has set up uh, an uh, ASEAN Competition Enforcers Network as well, um, which uh, has, uh, you know, which is a meeting of enforcers across the region, um, which is there hopefully to help when there are cross-border investigations needed. So although ASEAN is not you know, following the European model where there is an overarching law and an overarching competition authority, um, there is work that's being done to try to uh, harmonise or, or um, converge, maybe a more accurate word, uh, wherever possible, those laws. And from, say, a business perspective, if there was greater harmonisation of competition laws between countries, would it, say, make it easier for you know, an ASEAN business do business in another ASEAN economy, and then that would kind of accelerate this end goal of a single production base and single market? Yeah. Look, I think um, wherever businesses are operating across borders, there's always challenges, isn't there, in understanding the rules, you know. There's, there's different taxation rules, different competition rules, whatever they are. Um, you know, certainly the more streamlined those rules can be um, within a region like ASEAN, the easier it's going to be for companies to, to operate. I mean, the biggest area of concern, I think, for businesses is with merger regimes. So let's assume you are a company that operates in five or six of the ASEAN member states and you're going to merge with another company that operates in, in, in a number of mer, uh, member states, then you are going to need to get merger clearance in multiple ASEAN member states, which is going to be a very time-consuming um, and potentially costly uh, exercise. The, you know, at the moment, the merger regimes across the region have got all different time frames you know some will make a decision very quickly others um, their law allows them to uh, take much longer in assessing the merger so I think that that's a real area of risk for uh, the, the you know ability to expand in the region uh, because those merger rules as they are at the moment um, have got a lot of inconsistencies mostly in a procedural sense from a substantive point I think a lot of the laws are looking at the same things considering the same issues, it doesn't mean they'll get the same answers either across the region. Um, but this is an area that uh, the member states are very aware of um, and, you know, something that, an area that the, that uh, I think will get a lot of attention uh, in the coming years. Yes, I think certainly. Um, and I guess uh, our final question as we wrap up this podcast um, as we're kind of moving into, a, I guess, a post-pandemic world and we're facing different issues such as geopolitical tensions, inflation, what are your thoughts on what needs to be done to accelerate progress in terms of uh, 
creating a level playing field in ASEAN. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield, the world at the moment, isn't it? Um, everywhere you turn, there seems to be another challenge for business. Um, yeah, I think um, what's interesting, I think, out of this pandemic is how united we are all are actually in, in the commonality of issues that we are all tackling, um, which is of some help, I think, and maybe partly answers the question because one of the um, thoughts that springs to mind uh, when you talk about moving forward for the ASEAN region, I think cooperation and collaboration is going to be key in the region. Uh, we have uh, a number of agencies that are new, not competition agencies, but are new, that need to, uh, you know, that, that are building expertise um, and can learn a lot from their ASEAN counterparts. Um, but equally, as I said, a lot of the challenges are being faced around the world um, and the more mature competition authorities in the US and Europe are still grappling with some of the same issues. So the more that agencies in the region can work together and uh, also collaborate with others around the world, uh, the, the quicker and more coherent that the progress will be, I think, from an enforcement and uh, implementation perspective. And I have to say that a lot of terrific work has already been done. So, so really the message there from me would be to continue that. Um, I think the governments in the region do need to be aware of how their own policies um, impact competition and impact that level playing field. Um, I've, I've raised this before, but I think, you know, as a final point um, in answer to this question, moving forward, um, that the governments do need to ensure that other policies that they're implementing aren't undermining the work um, inadvertently, usually, of, of the competition law uh, and policy. And, um, you know, I think generally continuing to increase an understanding amongst uh, business, government, consumers, the regulators themselves of how competition policy and law works, what it's trying to achieve, and the benefits of that level playing field um, will be, you know, will be really key uh, to, to progress. And, um, you know, the growth in the ASEAN region is, is you know, has been remarkable and uh, there's nothing, no reason why that shouldn't continue. Yes, I think it's, it's heartening to know that a lot of progress has already been made and I think it's important to know that much work still needs to be done. Uh, Professor Burgess, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Imran.